0: Well, good morning and welcome to Maranatha this morning. We're glad you're here worshiping with us, uh, whether in person or online. We're glad you're here. If you're a visitor, uh, we ask that you uh, find the small yellow sheet in front of you and fill that out so we can uh, know who you are and you can drop that uh, in the offering on the way out this morning. Um, just a couple announcements we want to make you aware of. Uh, some of the youth and their families are away this weekend uh, canoeing, so I am the only staff member here this morning. Um, so everyone needs to leave. Oh, thank you! Yeah. <laughs> um, so that just means that uh, the people at second service have to leave right away so I can get home for my nap. <laughs> um, but they're having a great time. Uh, Pastor Cody, Stacy, and Pastor Tony are, are all with the youth and with uh, the Carguses and so, some other. Uh, families are there as well. So uh, keep them in your prayers as it's a time of growing together and also uh, growing closer to Christ. Uh, we have a few announcements we want to let you know about. Uh, first off is Awana registration is this Wednesday. So if you have uh, someone in uh, kindergarten through sixth grade uh, that, and you would like them to come to Awana, please come this Wednesday from 6 to 7 30. Uh, we will be in the parking lot here um, we, we are getting a little firmer on our registration policy, not saying we're keeping people out, but we need you to register so we know uh, how many are coming. Uh, just like uh, if you were to sign up for city soccer or baseball or anything, we need you to register ahead of time so that we can anticipate uh, how many kids are coming. We're, we're anticipating uh, probably having over 100 kids this year as we've been growing the past couple years. Uh, so we need, uh, we need to make sure we're registered. If you can't make it, Uh, On Wednesday, you can always stop by the church office as well and get um, some registration forms uh, from myself or from Carmen. Uh, Also, um, on the 7th of September, we will be kicking off both uh, youth group and Awana. Uh, We'll be getting into full swing. The youth will be out in the parking lot doing a lot of uh, fun activities, and Awana will meet as we always do in in the ministry center, so that's coming up uh, September seventh. So be in prayer for that. If you would like to volunteer for either of those things, either youth group or Awana, uh, you can talk to myself, Pastor Tony, Julie Minen, um, and we can get you more information about that. Uh, lastly, uh, we haven't done this in several years, but we will be having a ministry fair uh, on September eleventh. Uh, that's a Sunday, so we'll be between services, and, and then after second service, uh, there'll be tables in the fellowship hall and in the lobby of the different ministries. Uh, And ways you can get involved, whether it's small group, uh, Awana, uh, kitchen ministry, um, uh, helping out with the facilities, whatever it may be. Uh, We just want to get you information so we can uh, help you help us um, with your uh, talents and gifts. And lastly, we want to celebrate a great uh, time out at Arrowhead last weekend uh, with our baptism services. I believe we had about 10 people that got baptized and uh, publicly uh, declared their faith in, in Jesus Christ. Um, I was not able to be there, but from what I've heard, it's, it was a, a very sweet time and a great time of being able to celebrate together uh, as the body of Christ. Uh, we are also celebrating uh, the return of one of our own. Uh, ben Thompson has been away uh, for several months, and he's going to give us uh, a report this morning. So I invite Ben uh, to come on up this morning and, and share with us.
1: Hello, everyone. Good morning. I am mostly just saying what happened because I'm not really that great of a speaker. So, kind of the deal of what I've been doing is I was in Papua New Guinea for the last six months. I was there working on a ship that its main purpose is to be used as a medical missions outreach ship. It's not doing that right now. It did a few years ago, but then COVID happened and things broke so i was fixing it so that included a lot of welding a lot of assembling different systems so i installed a water maker i installed a septic treatment plant i rewelded an old one into a storage tank i installed or rebuilt the uh fire line so the water system for putting out fires so yeah a lot of just The same kind of stuff lots of you guys know how to do. Just working with my hands, fixing things so that God can use them. So this included working with a lot of great people. Like, on board, I was basically the only American for four of the six months. And most of the other guys were from Papua New Guinea. Thankfully, they did know English. So most of the time, they spoke in English when I needed to communicate with them. So that wasn't too bad. But it was definitely a bit outside of my comfort zone. But God got me through it. As well, well he always provided for me and all of my financial needs. My entire time over the last two years of doing missions, I have never been without what I needed. And I never directly asked anyone for money. God just kept sending it. So never had an abundance passing what I needed, but he kept everything I needed with me. So, what are the other things? Ah, so the future of the ship is it needs to go to dry dock still, so that's what they're working on right now is waiting on dry dock because it's Papua New Guinea. Their dry docks break down sometimes and there's other ships in front of them. So yeah, it's waiting for another month or two until dry docks open, but then it's gonna go through that and then it should be up and ready to go. So. Hopefully, by the end of the year, it'll be able to do outreach again. So it'll be going around doing cataract surgeries, doing dental work, and helping the people in the country. Because Papua New Guinea and the surrounding little island nations, although they've heard about Jesus, there's still a lot of growing they need, and they're very lacking in medical, need, medical stuff outside the main city. So I'm glad to be able to be, have been a part of helping with that. And for my future plans, I don't know for sure. I'm planning on helping out around church with some of the Helping Hands ministry and hoping to be self-employed going forward. So trying to figure that out. But yeah, thank you for your support and thank you for prayers and thank you for your time this morning.
0: Thank you, uh, Ben. Know that you've um, been in our prayers and our thoughts uh, while you've been gone, and we are excited to see what God has next for you. Um, this morning, we're uh, going to hear from our good friend, uh, Otieno. Uh, Otieno is a local missionary that works with um, the Somali population in Barron and uh, fixes airplanes and does a lot of other things. Uh, he went Him and I, actually, it's really interesting, him and I went to the same school, uh, Moody Bible Institute, he went just a little bit before I did, um, uh, but so uh, with that said, you can uh, knowing that he went to Moody, you can uh, trust what he has to say this morning. So, Otieno,
2: thank you so much, uh, Pastor Aaron. Am I on? Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Thank you. I'll pay you for that. That makes me feel a little bit younger than I'm actually, so I'll, uh, meet me after the service, I'll give you some, some money for that, for making me feel much younger. Well, I'm uh, so privileged to be able to share with you this morning, and uh, I want to tell you, I am unworthy. I really don't feel or uh, that I'm worthy to be up here, but you know what, I know him who is worthy, and that's our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm trusting that this morning God is gonna speak to us. I am thankful that as a body of Christ we all have different journeys. Some of us here maybe grew up in a Christian family and we trusted Christ at a young age and thus we you know, as far as we can remember, we've always been Christians. Some of us maybe were in a came from Catholicism and came to faith in Christ and, you know, gotten to grow in Christ. But also there are people in this world and maybe a few of us who were in a different religion that did not recognize Christ as their Savior. So this morning I've just asked Aisha to come and share with us her journey, how he came, she came to know the Lord. So I'll ask give Aisha a few minutes to just come up here and uh, And God can speak to us through personal testimonies and I'm trusting the Lord is going to speak to you through Aisha and how God has worked in her life to bring her to where she is and to faith in Christ.
3: Church. Um, Suddenly, this stage feels bigger than it usually is when I'm up here. Uh, Thank you, Tiano. So I was. um, I don't talk about how I came to Christ very often, unless um, I'm asked. People who know that Aisha is a Muslim name are sometimes curious and say. That name is a Muslim name. How did you end up in church? I'm going to start with the story of, I don't know if anybody has heard of um, Henrietta Green. She was called the, the Witch of Wall Street in the early 1900s. She was one of the wealthiest women in America. And she's recorded in the Guinness Book of Records as the world's most miserly person that ever lived. She was rich, but she only wore one dress. She wore that dress until it was torn, and then she changed it. It's um, written about her that she didn't eat much for good food. She lived on oatmeal and eggs and sometimes she wouldn't even eat her meals because she didn't want to run bills. She didn't want to have to pay for the bills. Yet at the time she died in, I think it was 1916 or something, she was worth about two and a half to four billion dollars in those days. That is me. When a man flatlines, he needs resuscitation. When he dies, he needs a resurrection. I was dead. I was born and raised in a Muslim home. My parents were Muslims, my grandparents were Muslims. My paternal parents, grandparents were not just Muslims, but they were also traditionalists. And when I say traditionalist, if you're an African, it means that there was some f- form of idolatry, idols, rooms where you can't enter, where there's a statue that they make sacrifices to or something. Um, but I was born and raised a Muslim. I didn't know about the idolatry part until I was maybe about 9, 10, when we would go on summer vacations, travel to the country to spend a week or two with my grandparents. And then I would notice some of those odd things that we don't see in the cities. But ordinarily, I was, my father raised us as Muslims. By the time we were six years old, after going to regular school, we would come home and there would be uh, an imam, a young imam, who would teach us the Quran. And we would recite and recite and recite and recite. The first thing you're taught is the profession of the faith. Laila illala Muhammad Rasulilai. That means there is no God, other God, but Allah. And Muhammad is his prophet. And we would recite and recite and recite. You taught how to read the Quran at a very young age and you're basically, now that I think about about it, you're basically indoctrinated. I went through life living the life of a Muslim. I was taught that I had to pray five times a day. I was taught that I had to give arms to the poor. I had to fast during during Ramadan and I was old enough to fast. And by the time I was in my teens, my maternal grandmother had even promised that if I kept going the way I was going, she was going to pay my way to Hajj. That's going to Mecca. Then, I went through high school, graduated high school, and I went into college. My first year in college, I shared the room with a strange girl. I called her strange because I'd never met anyone like her. She was always praying. But she prayed in ways that I was not familiar with. She would pray and I would pray. And then one day she asked me to join her for a meal. And she said I should tell her about my religion. I said, well, there's only one God, Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. And then I told her about all the things that I had learned over the years, the most regular pillars of Islam, our five daily prayers, what it entails, why we fast, how we fast. And she asked me a question. She said, but do you have a relationship with Allah? I said, no, you can't have a relationship with Allah. He's God. So that's where the conversation about Christ started. She told me about how she came to faith. After that meal, we were roommates, so there was no escaping her. She kept bugging me and bugging me and bugging me. Sometimes when I'm done with my lectures and I'm coming back into my room and I know she's there, I just make a U-turn and off I go again because I didn't want to have that conversation again. Her name was Bola Omogia. She persisted. And then I told my other friends, who were my classmates, "My roommate has become a thorn in my flesh, and it was too late in the semester to change rooms. So sometimes I would spend the night in another friend's room or another classmate's room, or just to ab- avoid baller but she wasn't going to give up. We called them SUs. I don't know why we called them SUs those days. SU stands for Scripture Union, but we called them SUs. We just thought they were weird people. They behaved strangely. So we called them SUs. Bola gave me a small blue Bible, the Gideon Bible. It was just the New Testament. She said, if I didn't do anything, I should just at least read that when I go home on vacation or something. Just read it. And then when we come back, we can talk. I was glad we're not going to talk because we're not going to share the same room ever again. She invited me to a few... um, Fellowship programs on campus. I went once, I never went again. But she wasn't going to give up. At the end of my first year in college, I went home with that Gideon Bible. And over the holidays, I read and I studied it. Not studied it, I read it like a story. It was interesting. When I came back, For my second year, I could not believe it. They put me in the same mood with Bola again. (laughs) It's not very often that you, by sheer coincidence, share the same room with the same person. It was a big campus. There was lots of students, and accommodation was not, sometimes some of us didn't even get accommodation people had accommodation outside the campus so if you get to share the same room two years in a row with the same person that was very rare but God was up to something I get to school I pack my things I'm going in and there was Bola again what are you doing here oh it's my room you've got to be kidding me And she goes, I'm not the one who is pursuing you. You have to find the one who's pursuing you and surrender. I just wanted to settle in. I was already upset and I was mad. I was already having a bad day. Anyway, after that, Bola came to me about a week after school had resumed and she said, did you read the Bible I gave you? And I said, yes, I did. I said, there were lots of interesting stories. Turn water into wine, raising the dead. I said, you know, the Quran acknowledges us. The Bible says that the prophet Isa is is Allah's prophet. I don't know about miraculous birth the Quran doesn't say that about him he said yes she said yes that's the problem with the Quran that Jesus is the son of God I said no the Quran doesn't say that she said yes I know the Quran doesn't say that but that's the truth Jesus is the son of God and Jesus loves you so much that he's made me your roommate I said that's where you're wrong again She said, "I told you when you came in, when school reopened, that you should find the one who's pursuing you. I'm not the one who's chasing you. Something is pursuing you. You need to find it, or find who it is." And then she asked me to come with her to the first program that year, um, that school year, the scripture of the Christian Fellowship students were, were gonna have, and I went with her. That was different than the first one I attended with her in the first year. And I said to her, I said, okay, I will read this Bible again. I'll keep reading it and see what happens. And throughout that year we, I wasn't running away from her as I was in the first year. so we got talking more i gave her the opportunity to keep talking to me i wasn't yielding i didn't yield but i kept giving her the opportunity to talk to me and share the gospel with me whenever she wanted to by the end of the second year something was changing in me and even i knew but i wouldn't even admit it to her so when i got home I went to a friend of mine who was a Christian. She she was a Catholic. I went to and I told her, you know, in the last couple of years, I had this roommate who's been talking to me about Christ and being born again and all of that stuff. What can you tell me about it? And she said, me, I'm Catholic. I said, what's the difference? Catholic isn't a Christian. She said, yes, but that born again thing, I have a friend who I will introduce to you. So she introduced me to Anita. Anita was a church walker at the Redeemed Christian Church of God. She was born again. She was on fire for the Lord. She was, she was the eat. <laughs> at following Christ. So she introduced me to Anita and Anita started to talk to me too about Christ. Then Anita invited me to church. I went with her the first time. Went with her the second time. The third time, there was going to be a provincial program. So it was all the parishes, the The way the Redeemed Christian Church of God works, there are so many different parishes in areas under a province. And in that province, there was going to be a special program. So all the other parishes were going to meet at the provincial headquarters to have that program. So I went with Anita for that program. It was like nothing I had ever experienced that program I realized that I was I had a father who was wealthy, who was rich in grace in mercy in compassion who loved me And yet, here I was, living like an orphan. That's why I called myself Harrietta Green, the witch of Wall Street. God was gracious to me. I came to the realization of his amazing abundant unlimited love when there was an altar call at the end of that program i got up from my seat walked up to the front of the altar and i gave my life to christ And my life has never been the same. I decided that I was going to do what Anita was doing. That I wanted to be a church walker. She was an usher in one of the parishes. I said, I don't want to be an usher though, but, I want to do something. What do I need to do? She said, Well, if you want to be a church worker, you have to go through the Walkers in Training program. It was a six month program. So I went through the workers in training, finished the training, I graduated. Now I had to choose the ministry that I wanted to work with. I said I want to walk with the prayer ministry. And so I joined the prayer ministry. I was blessed again to have a deacon in church who was, they called him, they actually nicknamed him fire for fire. I don't know anybody who prays like that man. He mentored me. He taught me scriptures. I came to find out that I could have a relationship and that I was in a relationship. My biggest struggle when I gave my life to Christ was, God, you needed to let me know that you are living, you're alive. Because that was missing in the religion that I grew up with. I felt like I was indoctrinated, so I didn't have a relationship and I wasn't sure if God was alive. And in no small way, God is faithful. If we're faithful, God is even more faithful. Time and time and time again, in that, especially in that first year after I gave my life to Christ, God kept proving to me that he was alive. I was experiencing, I was having experiences that I had never had in my life. I would wake up at night at 2 AM in the morning, always about 2, 2.30 AM in the morning. And there's a scripture, I didn't know the Bible, but there was always a scripture in my head. And I would get up and go and open the Bible and find that scripture as it was in my head. God was trying to prove to me that he was alive. So he would send me to these places in that book that was proof that he was there, he was listening, and he knew exactly what I wanted to hear. The Lord fed me. He fed my spirit That first year in ways that I had never known. Then I knew that God was alive. He was living. I wasn't just praying to something somebody told me to pray to because I had to. I had a relationship. The Bible, I think it's Romans 9. I believe it's Romans 9, 15 or 16. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. That it's not of him that will it or of him that run it, but of God that showeth mercy. Before that, he said, I will have mercy on whom i will have mercy and i will have compassion on whom i will have compassion so it is not anything that we can do but of god that showed mercy is merciful like i said i was dead and i need a resurrection and he resurrected me by the power of his blood God loves me and I know I am a proud daughter of the living God he has called me daughter and I will not let anyone call me an orphan ever again I don't know if there's anyone here who doesn't know the Lord But don't go back the same way you came if you have known him and have walked away or you're not in a relationship with him rededicate your life go through scriptures the Israelites kept straying away but they kept returning they would repent and God would take them back we're no better. We walk away. If you've walked away, come back. Rededicate your life. It will never be the same again. When the Jewish exiles came back to rebuild the temple, The prophet Hagar was encouraging them to walk, put the blocks together, build the temple, get the structure up. But the prophet Zechariah was more interested in their spiritual renewal, their rebirth, their relationship, repentance, the doing away, sin. And so the Lord said to him to tell the people, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. It is the Lord that will do it. He's the one who will build this temple. The beauty about it today is that It's not a physical temple anymore. We are that temple. And the Lord is constantly, daily, by the sanctifying process, building us up so that in glory, we will be worthy to stand before him. I want to give all the glory and all the praise, all the honor to the living God. I know the size of my God and I never, nothing ever would diminish him in my sight. Sickness will come, problems will come, but I know the size of my God. I keep saying the size of my God because I can't quantify it. I really can't put a size to him. So I know. I know that he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. I know that he's the ancient of days. I know that he was the beginning before the beginning began. I know that he's the end after the end has ended. I know that he's the living spring. I know that he's the alpha and the omega. I know that he's the first and the last. I know that he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. I know that my redeemer lives. I know that he's the living God. I know that his hands are not shortened, that he cannot save. I know that he's the rock of ages. I know that he's the fountain of wellspring. I know that the cattle of a thousand hills are his. I know that silver and gold belongs to him. I know that he will walk with me through the fire, and I will not be burnt. I know that he would walk with me through the waters, and I will not drown. I ask you this morning, what is the size of your God? Have you elevated your problems, the issues of life, above your God? My God is mighty. He's mighty to save. My God is bigger than all the problems of the world. I was blessed to come from a family. I had a father who was liberal. He didn't deny me. He did not disown me. On my maternal grandmother's side, my grandmother actually disowned one of my aunts for daring to walk away from Islam. I didn't see my aunt for many years, almost 20, because she left home. As soon as she gave her life to Christ, she left home and she never saw her mother again until she was married and had children. Her first son was already 14 years old when she reconciled with her mother. That's my grandmother. As I grew in the Lord, my, I talked to my mother about coming to Christ, about receiving Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. But my mother was afraid she was scared that her own mother would disown her because she had seen her mother disown her younger sister my mother wouldn't dare my mother was that afraid i asked her would you rather go to hell your mother isn't going to be sitting on the judgment seat that seat is too big for her would you rather go to hell And she said she couldn't give her life to Christ as long as her mother was alive. Well, my grandmother has passed. She has also reconciled with my aunt, who she disowned for almost two decades. I wasn't there when she passed, but my aunt, who is a pastor, by the way, was there. And in those final hours, led her mother to the Lord. God has a way of walking. We don't have to wait till those final hours to give our lives to Christ. We can do it now. We can live for him now. My life will never be the same again. It is my prayer that his grace and mercy will be continually renewed upon me. I don't feel like I deserve it. I would never deserve it. But because of what Christ did at Calvary, We are worthy. Don't let anyone tell you less. That blood, (laughs) you can put a price on it. You are worthy because He has counted you worthy. God is faithful. He will not deny himself. Life throws stuff at us that make us question whether he's there or not. But he's there. He didn't say that it was going to be a bed of roses when we gave our life to him. He said in this life we would have troubles. But I will walk with you when you walk in the fire. When the flood comes, it will not run over you. I want to thank God for his saving grace upon my life. I want to thank him because he also gave me, it's possible that if my father had been less liberal than he was, I could have denied the fate. I love my father that much, but I thank God for his pursuit of me. No greater love than to share a room two years in a row with the same person who you don't want to see. That was God pursuing me. He pursued me in His own way. And for that, I'll be forever, eternally grateful. I am alive, I am resurrected. Praise the Lord.
2: Thank you so much, Aisha, for that testimony, and I hope the Lord has spoken to you through that. I have a few minutes to share with you, uh, just to add on to what Aisha has shared, and uh, basically what I want to share with you is what sets us apart as believers in Christ Jesus, and I've I've titled my message this morning as "Battle." for hearts. You know soon after the events, the tragic events of September 11th there were a lot of communal prayer meetings which brought people from different faiths. Christians came together with uh, Muslims and together with uh, Judaism or the Jewish religion, together with um, All sorts of religions, so they came together to pray. And at that time, the call that that gained momentum is unity. We should all unite. We should set aside things that make us different, things that separate us, things that cause animosity. And as these meetings gathered momentum, one thing that also we realized and was so, so clear is that the name of Jesus was not mentioned that much. Even renowned preachers, renowned pastors, whenever they prayed at these meetings, they never prayed in the name of Jesus. The reason was because the name of Jesus was a stumbling block to the other faiths. And some even went ahead to use scripture to say that God commands us to love our neighbors. And loving our neighbors, we do not want to offend our neighbors. So if something offends them, then we can distort or we can alter. If God's word offends them, we even went ahead as to alter God's word to modify it so that it could sound better so that our friends can feel more comfortable. And our text this morning is, comes from Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, and says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways We do not use deception, nor do we distort the Word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. When the Bible talks about therefore, we ask ourselves, what was there before? And chapter 3 of that same uh, book of 2 Corinthians will tell us what was there for. Chapter 3 talks about Moses and the law. Moses went up to the mountain and God gave him the law the Ten Commandments, in stone tablets. And when he came down the mountain, his face shone with the glory of God. And people were not even able to look at his face. And then the Bible says in uh, chapter 3, again, that only those who turned to Christ, those who turned to the risen Christ, had that veil taken out of their faces. And if we read verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 18, says, and we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed in His image with ever-increasing glory. Now, some churches use this verse to talk about the mask, take off the mask, unveiled faces. I don't think that's what Paul was talking about when he wrote this verse. It's just that as we don't need to, uh, we don't need that veil, so that we can be able to see God's uh, glory. Now, why do we use deception and distort the word of God? It's because, as I mentioned, to make people comfortable, to be accepted by others, to please our listeners and make it more appealing to those we are sharing the word with. I wrote this that we need to realize that the very central battleground between Christianity and other religions, especially Islam, is the divinity and the death and resurrection of Christ. Muslims declare that Jesus is a great prophet, and Aisha shared that. Actually, they call him Isa in the Quran. that Isa is a prophet second to Muhammad, that Muhammad is the greatest prophet. And as I share with my Muslim friends, they... Always bring this verse out. There's a verse in the Quran, chapter 4, verses 157, and this is what it says And for their saying, Indeed, we have killed the Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary, the messenger of Allah. And they did not kill him, nor did they crucify him. But another was made to resemble him to them. And indeed, those who differ over it are in doubt about it. They have no knowledge of it except the following assumption. And they did not kill him for certain. See, the Quran tells the Muslims that Christ did not die. So when you are singing this morning about, or when you sing about the resurrection of Christ, our friends, our neighbors are saying what we are saying is just in vain. And in fact, Paul says it even clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 19 to 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life We have hope in Christ. We are of all people most to be pitied. Now I have a problem with the Muslims uh, with with this narration that Christ did not die on the cross. First of all, this must be an immoral Allah because Allah deceives people. The Jews saw Christ being arrested. They saw Christ being judged, and then Allah deceives by taking Christ Jesus out of the Jews' hands and putting somebody else in their hand. For me, that's deception. Then he, leaves, uh, he lets people form a religion or be in a religion for 600 years, and then goes out and finds an illiterate man in the desert of Saudi Arabia, to tell him the truth? What kind of God is that? That would let, would deceive? And that's why I say, my God does not lie, my God does not dupe. That's not the same God I worship. Then, also, another contradiction is the Quran contradicts itself. In chapter 19, verses 33 of the Quran, the Quran talks, Jesus is talking, and okay, Isa is talking, and Isa says, Blessed me the day I was born, the day I die, and the day I rise again. So if Jesus did not die, then why is Isa saying, Blessed be me the day I was born, the day I die? And Muslims will tell you, oh, that's for the future coming. But I go, No, 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 no. Look, in chapter, same chapter 19, verses 15, John the Baptist says the same thing, blessed is me the day I was born, the day I die. So do you mean John the Baptist is going to come again? No, you can't take it both ways. The other thing that I bring up with my Muslim friends is, Quran also says in chapter 53, verse 38, that no one can take the guilt of another. So what was Allah doing, putting the guilt of Jesus on somebody else, putting the guilt of Isa on somebody else. That's a contradiction of their belief. And what about the people who are there? The people who saw him on the cross? You know, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there at the cross and he s- she saw her son on the cross. Don't you think the mother would know the face of his son, of her son? What about John what about Peter? They were there. Don't you think these people who had walked with Christ would have known that that person was not Christ? What about the man on the cross? The one who said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Into your hands I commit my soul. Those are, the, those are not the words of a man that was not supposed to be there. Those, are, those words are spot on to the Jesus that I know. And praise the Lord that we know that Christ died on the cross for us. No matter what other people say, we know for sure that Christ died on the cross for us. Another thing that's a stumbling block for most um, Muslims is the divinity of Christ. That Jesus is God. As Aisha mentioned, Muslims don't have that relationship. God cannot become man. That's Really, something that is far from their thinking. There's no way. God is so far up, so far unreachable, that they cannot even know Him. And when we say that God became man in Christ, that is something that they cannot take. And that's what we are supposed to lay aside, because these are the things that separate us, these are the things that cause. Division. These are the things that cause death when, they, when people fly their airplanes into buildings. These are the things that cause division when people get stabbed because they are claiming that Christ is the way, the only way that will cause a division. When you go out there and say that Jesus Christ is the only way, you are labeled as an extremist, as somebody who is not good for the society, that is God's word, that Christ is the only way. Now, when they talk about Christ not being God, that is something that we can handle. And what, how, I ha- how do I handle this? I handle this by going back to the Quran. In chapter 20 of the Quran, there's a story of Moses. And this story has just been lifted up from the Bible. Moses and the burning bush. And Moses was out there in the desert and he sees this bush on fire and he goes to investigate and a voice comes from the bush and tells him, Moses, Musa, Musa, take off your shoes because you are on holy ground. Holy ground. What does holy ground mean? Holy ground means that Allah is there. And they go, oh no, no, that bush must have been maybe in heaven. No, 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 but Moses was there. Then the voice comes from the fire and says, this is Allah. And I ask them, who can take the name of Allah? Allah, so I ask them, if Allah could take the form of a burning bush, 1400 BC, what prevents him from becoming a human being 2,000 years ago? And if they have a problem with that, then they have to take that verse out of their Quran and throw it away because Allah was in that burning bush, meaning that their God can come unto this earth. And that's the relationship we have, that God walked in the cool of the morning with Adam and Eve. God was walking with Abraham. God walked with the prophets, And I, as a person in Uh, the 21st century, I can walk with God because my God is a personal God, a God that I can go to and pray to, a God who talks to me and walks with me along the narrow way. What a privilege. Thank God for Jesus Christ who took our sins upon him and nailed them on that cross. And with that, I can have the relationship with him. So we I bring all these points to my friends, but We are dealing with people here that have been so deceived. The Bible says the God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbelievers so that they may not see the light and come to Christ. And my prayer is that we would be effective. We would go out there and share the word of God. Now, the other thing that offends them and we have fallen so flat on this, is the Son of God, the deity of Christ. You remember in Matthew chapter 26, verses 63 to 66, the high priest, Jesus is before the high priest, and the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to you, all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming in the clouds of heaven. Verse 65. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, what other proof do we need? Why do we need more witnesses? He has blasphemed. The Jews knew exactly what he was saying when he said that you will see the Son of Man now, the high priest gave the two titles, the Messiah and the Son of God. And Jesus added, you will see the Son of Man. And that's the third title. The fourth title is given in the book of John, which is uh, when uh, they, he, say he said, before Abraham, I am. And they picked up stones to stone him. It's clear that Christ said he was. God in that chapter because the Jews understood exactly what he meant and what does it say after that they, he asked what do you think we should do and they condemned him to death because he is God in human form. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. The word became flesh the word that God became flesh and dwelt among us. And He showed us the glory of God. And I can have that relationship with Him. So, my prayer is that we can take these concepts and apply them in our lives as we share with Muslims. Now, we are kind of sheltered here. We don't see so many, but in the world, there's around 2 billion Muslims and it's the fastest growing religion. And it's just a matter of time. And I think as Christians, we should be equipped. We should know what Islam is all about. Because it's the fastest growing religion. And soon things are going to be, we'll have more and more and more and more. There's so many of them just here in Baron. I invite you to join us. Pray. Be that uh, as Aisha called Ah, that weird person that prays, that wants to share the gospel with the Muslim people. Because God made them. God loves them. And God is after them. But God wants to use you and me to reach them. If you are here this morning, as Aisha mentioned, you, you do not know Christ. I invite you to come to him, to accept him as your savior. He loves you. He died for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this day, for this morning, for your goodness to us. Thank you that, Lord, you are alive. And, Father, that we can have a relationship with you. Thank you for all that we've had this morning through your word. And, Father, we you know it's sometimes scary, but, Lord, we know that you are sovereign and that, Lord, you love us and that, Lord, you'd never let us go. Thank you for salvation that's free, and that, Lord, we can come to you and just accept you into our lives and have eternal life because you give us the assurance. So, Lord, we just want to glorify you this morning and pray that as we go out, that we would be servants who are willing and are obedient to serve you. And, Father, that we would be available when you call us. Thank you again for your goodness to us in Jesus' name. Just join us in the next few songs as we close this morning.
4: from all whom all things come and all praise to christ jesus his only son and all praise to the spirit who makes us one and they'll know we are christians by they'll know no.
2: Chad, and there was an airline that uh, came to German International Airport, and one thing that struck me their catchphrase was, we will take you all the way. and That made us chuckle, you know. I wonder if there was any other airlines that took you halfway and then had you parachute and you walk the rest of the way because these guys were like, they promised, we guarantee to take you all the way. But, you know, that's a. Uh, The truth is in God's word God promises to take us all the way and we know he'll take us all the way. And I'll send you out with these words in Philippians chapter 1. And Paul says I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for you for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God bless you, and thank you for worshiping with us this morning.